Hello, beautiful souls. In an effort to relieve some of the stress surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, I have decided to release the Soul Flow audiobook here on this podcast for free. There are 15 chapters in total, 17 if you count the introduction and closing thoughts, and a new chapter will be released daily starting Friday, March 20th, 2020 through Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Please enjoy this free audiobook, and if you'd like to support me and my work, consider leaving a review on Amazon or for this podcast, following me on social media. My Instagram handle is author Kristen Martin, posting about this book to social media, and sharing this podcast and my other resources, which you can find linked in the show notes with your friends and family. I am sending love and light to you all during this time. Enjoy the audiobook. Chapter 10, The Ego Construct. If you're familiar with psychology, then you likely know about the ego, a term used in a vast range of behavioral studies and theories. If you're not, don't worry. Everything we've discussed up until this point is ego-related, meaning that you may already have more of a handle on the concept than you might think. I saved this particular chapter for later on in the book, because it was never my intention to information dump on psychoanalytic theories in the first few pages. That still isn't my intention. This is a personal development book, not a psychology lesson. And I'm guessing, for those of you who have read my previous books, doing so would have left you wondering who I was and what I'd done with the real Kristen. Nevertheless, understanding human personality is key to unlocking awareness of self, So please bear with me as we dip a toe into the dense waters of psychology. By no means am I a psychology expert, which is why I'll be referring to two people who are, Sigmund Freud and Leopold Bellick. Sigmund Freud is most famous for his psychoanalytic theory of personality, in which he proposes that the personality is composed of three elements, the ID, the ego, and the superego. These three elements work together to create complex human behaviors, many of which we've already discussed in previous chapters. According to Freud's theory, certain aspects of your personality are more primal, meaning they might pressure you to act upon your most basic urges, whereas other parts of your personality work to counteract said urges, thereby aiming to conform to the demands of reality. Let's start with the ID. The ID is the only component of your personality that is present from birth. This aspect of your personality is entirely unconscious and includes your instinctive and primitive behaviors, which makes it the primary component of your personality. Driven by the pleasure principle, it strives for immediate gratification of your desires, wants, and needs, and if not satisfied immediately, can result in anxiety and or depression. If this is confusing, think about an infant. When an infant is hungry or uncomfortable, they cry until their needs are satisfied. The ID is very important early on in life because it ensures that, as a youngster, your needs are met. However, as we develop, immediately fulfilling our needs is not always realistic or even possible. If the pleasure principle were to run our lives, 
we'd likely be living in excess, taking things that don't belong to us, and acting in a way that is detrimental to not only our health and safety, but also to those around us. Next is the ego. The ego is the component of your personality that is responsible for dealing with reality. The ego develops from the ID and ensures that the impulses of the ID can be expressed in a way that aligns with that of the real world. It aims to satisfy the ID's desires in realistic and socially appropriate ways by weighing the costs and benefits of an action before deciding whether or not to act on it. Since it operates on the reality principle, many of the ID's urges can be satisfied through a process of delayed gratification, which means that the ego will eventually allow the behavior, but only in the appropriate time and place. Freud compares the ID to a horse and the ego to the horse's rider. The horse provides the power and motion, while the rider provides direction and guidance. Without its rider, the horse may simply wander off and do whatever it so pleases. Finally, we have the superego. The superego is the last component of your personality to develop. According to Freud, it begins to emerge around the age of five. It holds all of our internalized moral standards and ideals that we acquire from the external, like our parents and society. Sound familiar? The role of the superego is to provide guidelines for making judgments. There are two parts to the superego. One, the ego ideal, which includes the rules and standards for good behavior, where obedience of these rules leads to pride, value, and accomplishment. And two, the conscience, which includes things that are viewed as bad by society, where those behaviors lead to consequences, punishment, guilt, and remorse. The superego is the part of our personality that aims to refine and civilize our behavior by suppressing all unacceptable urges of the ID while also struggling to make the ego act upon idealistic standards rather than realistic ones. The key to a healthy personality then would be a balance between the ID, the ego, and the superego. When out of balance, Freud believes a maladaptive personality can develop. For instance, an individual with an overly dominant ID might become impulsive, uncontrollable, or possibly even criminal since they'd act on their most basic urges without any concern as to whether or not the behavior is appropriate, acceptable, or legal. Someone with an overly dominant ego might be so tied to reality rules and acceptance that they are unable to engage in any type of spontaneous or unexpected behavior. Ahem, fear. They become rigid, incapable of accepting change, and might even lack an internal sense of right and wrong. An overly dominant superego might lead to a personality that is extremely moralistic and judgmental, one that is unable to accept anything or anyone that it perceives as bad or immoral. Can we see how this might be a problem? If left unchecked, any one of these can result in discord in some aspect of our lives, the pretty important aspects, if I do say so myself, your basic urges, your moral values, and your perception of the world around you. 
According to Leopold Bellick, an expert on psychological tests, there are 12 major functions of the ego, which include reality testing, judgment, sense of reality of the world and the self, modulating and controlling drives, effects, and impulses, object or interpersonal relations, thought processes, defensive functioning, autonomous functioning, adaptive regression in the service of the ego, stimulus barrier, mastery competence, and synthetic integrative function. We could go through each one of these, but then this would most definitely turn into a psychology lesson, and I already promised I wouldn't do that. So we'll only focus on one of these, defensive functioning, in a later chapter. As far as this chapter goes, though, there's a reason I titled it the ego construct. The desired outcome of the ego construct isn't necessarily to rid yourself of your ego entirely. It's more along the lines of becoming aware that it even exists in the first place, and furthermore, to construct the narrative in a way that feels balanced, aligned, and authentic to you. Once we become aware of our impulses, our triggers, our habits, and our thought patterns, we can then assess whether or not these things are attributing to our highest good. If they're not, then it's time to construct a new narrative. The easiest way I've found to check my ego is to be the gentle observer of my thoughts. Without judgment, I observe my thoughts as they flow through my mind and traverse layer after layer of consciousness, but I always bring each thought to a grinding halt before it can turn into an action or worse, a permanent resident. Your mind is precious real estate. Just like a landlord, make sure you're charging rent for each thought that takes up space. If the thought doesn't pay on time, aka serve you in a positive way, if it behaves like a disgruntled tenant would, aka causes anxiety or stress, or threatens your livelihood in any way, shape, or form, it's time to boot that thought and clear the space, hence opening up room for a better, more aligned thought. The point I'm trying to make is that we should interview each thought as if it were a potential tenant. It doesn't have to be a long interview. One or two questions will suffice. Like, is this thought fact or is it merely perception? Is there, perhaps, another way of looking at this? And if so, what does that new way look like? By assessing each thought individually, we don't give it the chance to snowball into an entire fear blizzard that buries everything in its wake. We bring our thoughts to the forefront, question their validity, then decide whether or not it can stay or if it needs to go. It's really that simple and that difficult. In consciously constructing the narrative around your ego, you're essentially creating your reality. When you shift your thoughts, perceptions, and feelings, you simultaneously shift your external reality. Throughout this process, you may find that certain things that used to bother you really don't have much of a hold on you anymore. That conflict, both internally and externally, ceases. That life is simple and clear instead of being muddied with pressure, expectations, and judgment. You have the power to construct and deconstruct your reality 
over and over again as many times as you need until you find the one that sticks. If that isn't empowering, well, I don't know what is. Reflection. For one week, make it a point to keep a notepad and pen with you or use the notes app on your phone. I'm not going to ask you to track every single thought because we have over 60,000 thoughts a day, so that would be impossible, but to take note of the thoughts that seem to repeat themselves, especially if they're negative or limiting. Document any and all phrases starting with I wish or I can't or I should. Doing this will increase your awareness around these thoughts. After the week is over, return to this page and work through each of those thoughts. Ask the two questions posed in this chapter. Is this thought fact or is it merely perception? Is there perhaps another way of looking at this? And if so, what does that new way look like? Make sure you review these new stories you've written often. Pretty soon, those limiting thoughts will fade because you've written new and better thoughts to take their place.